Pharmacists at several CVS locations in the Kansas City metro area staged a walkout last week over what they say are unsafe working conditions, bringing renewed attention to the profession. Around the country, pharmacists have been reporting high levels of burnout since the start of the pandemic. Understaffing at some retail pharmacy locations, increased demand for medications and vaccinations have put additional pressure on pharmacists. Now, with a new COVID booster plus RSV and flu season around the corner, pharmacists will continue to be in high demand as healthcare systems rush to administer as many vaccines as possible. How is all of this playing out here in Wisconsin? Our next guest is, guest is with the State Organization of Pharmacists. You can join in at 800 642 1234. Have you noticed shortened hours, maybe, or limited service at your local pharmacy? What's been your experience getting a prescription filled lately? Do you receive care from a pharmacist for a chronic condition? Do you work in the business? Are you a pharmacist? What kind of things are you seeing in your own place or with your colleagues? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. Sarah Sorum is Executive Vice President and CEO of the Pharmacy Society of Wisconsin. Sarah, thanks a lot for joining us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you and celebrating upcoming October as a Pharmacy Month. As we head toward Pharmacy Month, are we seeing some of those trends here in Wisconsin that we're hearing about around the country? A pharmacist uh, burnout, sometimes maybe uh, difficulties finding pharmacists everywhere they're needed. Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of challenges in healthcare since really even before the pandemic. The needs of the population are expanding in terms of healthcare. We want to receive better value from the healthcare that we're providing. And so pharmacists are a key part of that. So we're experiencing some of the same workforce challenges that other healthcare professionals are experiencing as well with burnout and and really trying to focus more on well-being of individuals and and how we integrate work and life. Before we dig more into uh, burnout and staffing levels and things like that, I want to talk a little more about what pharmacists do. And Sarah, you know, the public facing ones are I go to the pharmacy and a pharmacist uh, helps me with my prescription. That's one thing that pharmacists do. There are a lot more working behind the scenes, right? In healthcare settings, can you talk about the range of jobs that pharmacists might be doing? Yeah, there's really no better time to go into a career in pharmacy practice than now. And we've seen more expansion in the roles that pharmacists play in public health, healthcare education, managing chronic conditions on a healthcare team. There's a variety of Uh, behind-the-scenes roles that pharmacists are playing. Really, wherever medications are used, there's a pharmacist involved. So whether it's a primary care clinic where a pharmacist is addressing adherence or managing a chronic condition like diabetes for a patient or a community pharmacist going into a senior center, providing a medication review to prevent falls, um, or more patients are receiving care at home now and transitioning out of hospitals into a hospital at home environment. There's pharmacists involved in all of those roles and hundreds of other roles for pharmacists these days. As you mentioned, a lot of health professions are are dealing with uh, difficulties in staffing in one place or another and dealing with these burnout issues. Can you talk about what you're hearing from your colleagues around the state when it comes to uh, what they might call burnout or stress on the job uh, and and how maybe the industry is starting to talk about dealing with it? Yeah, I mean, patient safety is really at the forefront for every pharmacist and every pharmacy staff member 
as they care for patients each day. And so in order to provide medications, the increased amount of vaccinations, patient counseling, and other services that patients need and pharmacists provide, it's really Im imperative that workplace conditions and appropriate staffing be in place. So we're seeing that now as we are emerging from the pandemic roles that healthcare providers have had, people are making different decisions about the work environment that they would like to be in. I mean, I know that I have more and more friends that are interested in working from home or having flexible work schedules. Well, the same is true for healthcare professionals and pharmacists. So we're seeing people make different decisions about what their next career moves are. Um, and so that creates uh, both opportunities for practice and also challenges for staffing uh, traditional um, visible locations for pharmacists. Let's bring in a caller now at 800-642-1234. Karen is with us in West Bend. Karen, hi. Hello. What did you want to tell us about, Karen? Well, I am a pharmacist here, and um, I've had my technician hours cut. So there are times that I'm working alone in the pharmacy. We don't have the busiest pharmacy by any means, but that also means that it's just me to answer the phone, answer the questions, and make sure prescriptions are correct and safely dosed. And if I'm constantly interrupted with no additional help, that's a safety concern. And Karen, can I ask, you may not want to name the name, but what kind of setting are you working in? A, a national chain, local pharmacy, healthcare setting? Yep, national chain. Okay. Karen, thanks a lot. Uh, Sarah, uh, this is something that is being brought up in that Kansas City walkout. I mentioned at the outset concerns that you know, there's not enough uh, tech staff there to support the pharmacists in some environments. Yeah, Karen, it's so great to have you call in and thank you for all that you are doing for patients every day. Uh, pharmacy technicians, as you mentioned, are a critical element of a pharmacy staffing model. These are the individuals that are providing really critical support services and doing, frankly, most of the patient interaction in a pharmacy setting like Karen's in. And we've certainly seen a huge shortage in that support personnel um, and staffing hours have been adjusted or in some cases cut um, for technicians. So really there's also oppor great opportunities for individuals to move into roles as pharmacy technicians and provide support personnel um, for pharmacies. We, we have pharmacy technicians that are members of the Pharmacy Society of Wisconsin and the, the kinds of advanced roles that they're able to do to support the profession is, is really exciting. Karen, thanks a lot for the call. Sarah Sorum is with us, Executive Vice President and CEO of the Pharmacy Society of Wisconsin. We're talking about uh, labor shortages in some places of pharmacists, uh, burnout as well. And you can join in at 800-642-1234. Are we talking about you? Are you a pharmacist yourself? Are you seeing these concerns? If you are a customer of pharmacies one way or another, have you seen changes in uh, hours that your local pharmacy is open, for example? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. We'll pick up the conversation coming up here on Central Time. You're listening to Central Time here on the Ideas Network. I'm Rob Barrett.
We're talking to Sarah Sorum with the Pharmacy Society of Wisconsin about challenges facing pharmacists here in the state. And you could join in at 800-642-1234 if you've noticed this as a pharmacy customer or a pharmacist yourself, 800-642-1234. Sarah, when I've talked about uh, concerns about labor shortages in the state uh, for a lot of professions, doctors, lawyers, uh, teachers, mental health care, so and the list goes on. Rural areas often seem to be hardest hit. Is this a concern in the pharmacy profession? Absolutely. I mean, rural areas, pharmacies provide really critical access to health care and often are primary care providers in their rural communities. So both with the um, staffing challenges and shortages um, or distribution issues that you've mentioned, but also from the standpoint of we've seen with some of the decisions being made at the national level around healthcare reimbursement, we've seen closures of pharmacies that provide, again, critical access to to care in rural communities. Let's go back to our callers. Cyril is with us in Madison. Cyril, hi. Hi there. I um, just came back from the pharmacy myself a few minutes ago. Um, and uh, they were training a new pharmacy tech uh, at that time, but um, I understand what uh, they've been uh, dealing with for the last few years. I know um, my daughter is uh, at MATC or Madison College, I should say now, <laughs> and her plan is to become a pharmacy tech. Oh, interesting. Cyril, she, thanks a lot for sharing that. Uh, sounds like a needed uh, profession. Sarah, can you talk about uh, who is training people to be uh, pharmacy techs and pharmacists here in Wisconsin? There, there are some different options for schools, as I understand it. Yeah, Cyril, that's a great opportunity for um, your family member to go into pharmacy tech career. MATC has a program. There's other technical colleges that offer programs. We're even seeing some health systems offer training programs for pharmacy technicians, sort of a grow your own approach to really train up and enable a really advanced uh, care workforce that can support the pharmacist. There are three schools of pharmacy in Wisconsin. UW-Madison has a school, uh, Medical College of Wisconsin in Concordia, and each of those programs is a fantastic pharmacy school program. They've done some unique things in partnering with um, other schools or partnering with undergraduate programs, also providing some introductory experiences for middle school and high school students to get exposure to careers in healthcare and careers in pharmacy practice. I really firmly believe that Wisconsin's the best place to practice pharmacy in the country. We have challenges here, just as there are challenges in other states, and our previous caller mentioned some of those. But the opportunities around public health access, closing equity gaps, um, is really unique in Wisconsin in that we really work with a collaborative, team-based care approach. So it's an exciting state to practice pharmacy in. Cyril, thanks a lot for the call, and good luck to your daughter going through that program. Sarah, if you want to make a, a pitch for people, uh, maybe younger people listening or their parents, uh, to put a pharmacist or pharmacy technician on their career option radar, which I think for a lot of people, they don't necessarily uh, think about that starting in high school. Yeah, I mean, if you're an individual or have a family member who's an individual who uh, feels strongly about 
being able to make a difference and care for patients and being an access point for healthcare. Pharmacy is an, an exceptional career path to consider, and there's a lot of variety. There's actually a website called pharmacyforme.org that people can check out for more information on career opportunities and practice. As a pharmacist myself, I uh, really have found a very rewarding career in pharmacy practice and have a lot of both really strong colleagues and friends in the profession, huge opportunities ahead. And so I would encourage people to give it a consideration. And as we wrap up, Sarah, briefly, are there uh, public policies you'd like to see to support uh, the pharmacist workforce, help prevent that burnout and bring in and keep people on the job? I mean, we really advocate for access to healthcare, access to pharmacist services. So enabling patients to make choices about where they receive their vaccinations and receive the medications that they fill and make sure policies enable that is really critical. Um, And then in terms of licensure, we also really want to work hand in hand with the um, legislature and the Department of Safety and Professional Services to make sure that licensure is uh, possible and as streamlined as possible in Wisconsin. Sarah, we'll leave it there. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. That's Sarah Sorum, Executive Vice President and CEO of the Pharmacy Society of Wisconsin. We've been talking about challenges to the pharmacy workforce here in the state, including burnout and staffing shortages and what the industry is doing to boost the profession here in the state. You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. Over 350 universities, including a bunch in Wisconsin, have agreed to standardize their financial aid offers in the hopes of improving a process that can be confusing, even misleading for students and families. Last year, the Government Accountability Office published a report finding that nearly two-thirds of colleges don't follow best practices for financial aid letters, such as including an itemized list of costs and the net price of attending their institution. Under the College Cost Transparency Initiative, there will be a standard practice that will include those things and others, again, at over 300 schools around the country. Carla Weber-Wandell is the Communications Manager for the Office of Student Financial Aid at UW-Madison. Carla, thanks a lot for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here today to talk about this. Now, when a student is accepted into a college, they're always, I'm sure, and their family's curious about how much they have to pay. Uh, what has been the, the variety of experiences they might have seen from different schools? Uh, what, uh, what is the concern that this uh, coalition is trying to solve? Right. Well, the concern is exactly that, is that there is a very different experience depending on the college or university the student may be applying to in terms of what they get for a financial aid offer. Um, the information that aid offer includes, what it looks like, it can really differ from school to school and what's being included. So that's really the main concern that this initiative is trying to address is to find some ways to standardize what we're doing from school to school so that they may not still all look identical, but a lot of the same terms are being used and the formatting is similar so that it's easier to make comparisons and identify um, the college costs and affordability of the different colleges and universities. So with this system, I I don't want to say new system because I'm sure some schools are, are doing roughly this already, but under this agreement, what are colleges committing to have in plain language on these forms? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly what it is. It is a commitment that schools are making to follow this initiative and its principles and standards. And ultimately, what we're all committing to is providing clear financial aid offers to our prospective and current students. 
So making sure those offers are clear and accurate, they have consumer-friendly information, they're transparent, um, and that they're also using very standard and plain language, which is the language that people understand the first time they read it. So very easy to understand. Um, we're also standardizing um, some of the aspects that are included in these financial aid offers. So we're all as schools agreeing to make sure the full cost of attendance is including. Um, so the cost the student will incur while they're in school are in that offer itself that we're listing the types and sources of financial aid um, and that they're labeled accurately, that loans should clearly be stated that they're loans, grants as grants and scholarships as scholarships. We also are making sure that all of our offers include an estimated net price. So that is when we're subtracting grants and scholarships from that cost of attendance, what's left over that a student will be responsible for paying. When... And then some other things. Oh, go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then just some other components too are just making sure we're being clear if students are getting student employment offers, how to follow through with those um, loans, what type of disclosure statements and information about those loans are going along in those offers as well. And then too, just making sure students are equipped with next steps on anything that they need to do to make this financial aid offer come to life for them. When does this kick in for the schools that have signed on for this? Yeah, so the many schools are already partners. So it means that we've already met some of these standards or rather we've met all of the standards um, and the goals of this initiative. And so those 300 some schools have already made this commitment and already meeting this initiative. What's great is that there are already many, many schools that have signed on to make the commitment within the next few months and year. Um, so we're very excited to see this list continue to grow and more schools sign on to this initiative to, again, work towards these standards. We're talking about a, a transparency initiative for college costs so that uh, schools standardize what those financial aid offers, those cost statements for incoming students will look like. Uh, some of those schools are here in Wisconsin, uh, UW-Green Bay, River Falls, and UW-Madison. Uh, Marquette, Lawrence are on in the will join list. I'm seeing a Beloit College, UW-Platteville, UW-Stevens Point. We are talking to Carla Weber-Wandell, Communications Manager for the Office of Student Financial Aid at UW-Madison. So, Carla, uh, regardless of how uh, readable these forms are, what are the kind of things that that incoming student and their family, if they're a part of the payment process, what are some of the things they should be thinking about as they line up uh, maybe two or three of these letters from different uh, colleges and, and figure out what's going to work best for them? Yeah, definitely. So when you're comparing college costs and college financial aid offers, really what you're looking at are the costs themselves. So what's tuition, what's housing, how much is it going to cost for that student to be at that college or university? And then what is the financial aid being offered to help reduce those costs from the student having to pay them themselves? Grants and scholarships are the dollars you want to look for first, because that's the free money that a student doesn't have to pay back, grants and scholarships. That's what you reduce and subtract from the cost of attendance to come up with that net price I was talking about earlier. And really, that's the easiest number for students to use to compare their options among schools is what that net price is. After that, then you can look at other options to help cover your, cover those remaining costs you might have, like taking out or borrowing loans, working on campus in a student job through like a federal work-study program. Um, there are other options, too, and other outside scholarships you could get as well. 
Let's key in on the loans here. I know there are different options when it comes to student loans. Uh, Will it be clear on these disclosures, you know, what type, what sources these loans are? And uh, and if so, uh, what should parents think about with one type of loan versus another? Yep, exactly. That's part of the goal with this initiative is to make sure in these offers that the language is very clear so folks know not only if it's a loan or not, but the type of loan it might be and where it's coming from. So is it a direct federal loan, meaning it's coming from the federal government, or is it a loan that's maybe coming from the school um, that should be listed from the school itself? It'll also say if a loan is subsidized or unsubsidized, especially if it's coming from the federal government, subsidized meaning that interest is actually being paid for the student while they're in school, so they end up paying back less when they graduate. Those subsidized loans, we always say, if you need to borrow, borrow those first. But the idea of this initiative is that language will all be included on those offers, as well as information and definitions to follow up. So if you have a question, you know where to look to get more information about what it means. These disclosures, are they coming just for that incoming first year student or would the sophomore, junior and senior get a new one each year? Are there updates on that as people progress through through their career? Yep. Yep. Great, great question. Well, you have to apply for financial aid every year that you're a student in college. So this process is every year. And so our financial aid offers you'll get every year. And that means our initiative for transparency and college cost transparency will also apply for all of our students, whether you're a prospective incoming student to a college or you're a continuing student at any grade level. Now, this may be different from school to school, but uh, at UW-Madison, if that student uh, gets that offer letter and thinks, gosh, I thought I would be eligible for more stuff, is there a way to get in touch, uh, uh, double check the process to make sure that uh, everything shows up there that they that they might be eligible for? Oh, for sure. Whether it's UW-Madison or any other college or university your student is considering, contact that financial aid office. We are there to help and support you um, to find out exactly that. Maybe there was a mistake in how you filled out your FAFSA that we can help you correct, or maybe your family has special circumstances that that FAFSA doesn't reflect that maybe we in the financial aid office can look at in a different way to help change some of your financial aid eligibility. So really use that financial aid office at the college or university as your number one resource about anything related to financial aid and getting help and support there. I am assuming that what ends up on this form is just uh, grants and loans that are that go through either the federal government or the uh, academic institution itself. Do financial aid offices like yours help uh, guide students toward those third-party scholarships, those outside scholarships? There are lots of them, sometimes small, sometimes big. Do you help students navigate that? Yeah, definitely. So a really cool thing we do at UW-Madison is we actually, through our social media, have a hashtag where we do Free Money Fridays. And that's one of the ways where we communicate with our student those really interesting and unique and variety of third-party scholarships that are available for students to apply for. Um, Some of them are more local, some are national scholarships, um, but it's a really great way to let our students know about some of those third-party opportunities. Because like you said, they're every Everywhere. You can find them locally in your community. You can find them from large corporations will sponsor scholarships. They really are everywhere. Sometimes even a simple Google search will find you some great scholarship opportunities. 
Carla, when I think, when I think a lot of people think about that incoming college student, it's that kid coming out of high school. But of course, there are a lot of so-called non-traditional students who may be entering school later in their 20s or in their 70s or all points in between. Uh, These disclosures, these financial aid things, is this for all kinds of students? Yes, and I'm sure it will make a, a, a difference for student no matter their age and when they're coming back to school, whether they've been to school before and are coming back or coming to school for the first time. The whole idea of making our financial aid offers clear and more transparent is that it will help everybody, the student, their support systems. Um, we really just want to make this process easier for students so that the college-going process is easier as well. And uh, briefly, Carla, uh, having a couple kids in college myself, uh, the one piece of advice I get again and again is every year fill out that FAFSA. Can you talk about the importance of filling out that annual financial aid form? Yes, definitely. Well, what I like to tell families too is things change both in terms of the financial aid we have available and your financial situation. And the only way to find out what you're going to be eligible for financial aid is to apply. So apply every year. You never have to accept what we're offering you. So if you are just offered loans, you don't have to take them. Um, But maybe there's a year where there's a grant you're eligible for that you weren't eligible for in the past. We also have some major changes coming into the FAFSA for next academic year for 24-25. And that could actually make quite a few more students eligible for financial aid that hadn't been before. So we are really going to be encouraging students for next year that if you've never filled out the FAFSA, this will be the year to give it a shot. Carla, thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great and love answering the questions. That's Carla Weber-Wandell, Communications Manager at the Office for Student Financial Aid at UW-Madison. She talked with us about a new initiative of over 300 colleges to make the financial aid process more transparent, easier to compare from one college to another.